0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's
1: Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
2: And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture, coming to you today from the uh, TV set for This Week in Agribusiness, where I'll be co-hosting uh, this weekend's show with... My good friend, Max Armstrong, coming up today here on Adams on Agriculture. We'll talk about the farm bill breeze right through the markup in the Senate Ag Committee yesterday. A bipartisan bill, wow, goes so much easier and quicker than what we saw happen in the House. We'll talk about it from a conservation standpoint with the president of the National Association of Conservation Districts, who will be joining us a little bit later on. Also, trade so much still in the news, the uncertainty with China, what's going on with NAFTA. We're going to talk about it with the president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, Tom Slate, will be joining us. And then joining me here... um, on on location will be uh, Dale Durcoats from AgriVisor. We're going to talk markets on today's program as well and how they're reacting to all this uh, trade uncertainty and tensions right now. So all that coming up on today's program. But first, we're going to start with uh, the latest on the Water Resources and Development Act. WERDA and the House of Representatives recently approved uh, the WERDA program. Uh, Act for 2018. That was by a vote of 408 to two. What does that mean? Let's talk about it with Mike Steenhook uh, from the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thank you for joining us. How significant was this vote?
0: We think it was certainly a, a step in the right direction. I think the, the most the, the, big, the most consequential part of it is that Congress is continuing to abide by the every two year passage of a Water Resources Development Act. When you allow too much time to elapse between the passage of one bill and the other, inertia really sets in and it really becomes difficult to educate lawmakers of the merits of it, why it's important, why it should occupy their time and attention. That's one of the the real challenges with barge transportation is it's out of sight and therefore it's out of mind. And so it's really important to keep this going every two years making sure it's on our country's radar screen, and then we're making this incremental improvement. So we're happy to see it passed. We commend the, the members of the House of doing that. We look forward to Senate approval in the near future and it being advanced to the, the president's desk. But there still is a lot of room left to, uh, to go, uh, a lot of improvement opportunities. And so we're pleased, but we're not popping the champagne. We're, we're, we're certainly not at the finish line.
2: Yeah, I learned long ago, and I'm, I'm not trying to be cynical here, but I learned long ago a passage of, of WERDA uh, in and of itself doesn't mean, all right, we're going we're to see things happening and the improvements on the locks and dams. It's a step in a process, and it's as you said, it's far from the final step. It's an important step, but it doesn't guarantee everything's going to get done that we're hoping is going to get done on our locks and dams.
0: Yeah, and I think this is one of the things that's very exasperating to me and for a host of other people when you look at this entire process is how we essentially have two steps. We have an authorization step, which is what a Water Resources Development Act does. It it essentially establishes the intention or what the priority list is of what we would like to do. And then the step number two is the appropriation step, and that's where intentions become outcomes because the check is actually getting written. And there all too often is a real significant breakdown between what a authorization step, a Water Resources Development Act calls for and what actually gets completed. And this is not just related to locks and dams. We've seen this this, uh, dynamic occur for a number of years, but a lot of flood mitigation efforts, you know, there's, uh, you know, one of the things that's in the news recently is, you know, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which had their really catastrophic floods 10 years ago, they're still waiting on a lot of that money for buttressing levees and fortifying and, and protecting that city. And, but there have been calls for that in word of bills, but yet the funding hasn't flowed. So, so again, we, we think it's important to do a word of bill. We commend its approval, but the work really does continue, and we need to make sure that we're advocating for the actual funding. That's when things really happen.
2: And meanwhile, Mike, uh, in my area in Illinois, there was some news uh, just in the last few days that uh, the administration is going to provide the Army Corps of Engineers with $10 million to renovate the LaGrange lock, and uh, that is the uh, southernmost lock on the Illinois River system. Um, Obviously, that is much needed. How significant is that announcement and that amount of money?
0: I mean, it's it's certainly it's real money. I mean, the the total rehabilitation project for Lagrange is going to be anywhere between 70 million and 100 million. So it's it's a, it's a big project. When you kind of if you need a a poster child for a lock that's been allowed to degrade for years, I can't think of a better example than Lagrange Lock and Dam. So that it's certainly very important we're glad that there's funding appropriated for it and that we're we're moving the needle in a positive direction uh it's certainly better than no money um but there there's a lot that needs to be done at that that key site in our inland waterway system and and it's not just confined to lagrange there's a lot of other locks and dams that need similar attention
2: (laughs) anything else happening mike along the lines of infrastructure improvement any momentum building anywhere
0: well, I, I think – I don't see us really doing anything seismic until either after the election in a lame-duck session or with a, with a new Congress. Um, we're happy that – I mean, there's, there, there's very few legislative trains leaving the station right now uh, because of the midterm election. We're happy that a Water Resources Development Act appears to be one of them. Um, so that's, that's certainly good. But as far as this more comprehensive, game-changing kind of approach to infrastructure that we've been taught, that's been expressed, <clears throat> and we're anticipating, unfortunately, it remains on the on deck circle. And so it, it really is incumbent upon agriculture and others to really beckon that to the batter's box and say the time is now. Um, and so when when Congress and the administration is ready to actually do something significant. Agriculture has a seat at that table, and they're, they're talking about the modes of transportation that are not just important to the broader economy but also to agriculture as well.
2: Again, as we've talked about before, it's an ongoing struggle to uh, push forward on infrastructure improvements. Uh, it, it gets The topic gets hot for a while in conversation, but it doesn't seem to, to last or go much further. So uh, you're not seeing any improvement in that at all?
0: Well, we, you know, one of the things that we have seen is that, you know, this, this, this issue does run the risk of sounding like a broken record, and that, and there's reason for that. Um, but we have had some additional funding allocated to locks and dams, um, you know, most recently in the omnibus appropriation bill. Um, and so that's something that we do celebrate. We need, certainly need to see more of that. But, but we have – I think the whole issue of the inland waterway system has been upgraded Uh, within Congress and also the administration that's a success and we have had uh, some additional funding allocated toward it and agriculture the barge industry and all of the other stakeholders are to be commended for that so we there has been some success but there's a long road ahead of us
2: all right Mike well thanks for the update and uh, we'll take any uh, uh, positive steps that we can get but hope for much more thank you so much thank you Mike Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So, some things happening uh, on the infrastructure improvement front, but uh, uh, taking small steps. We need to take some big steps. Coming up next, a big step was taken in the Senate Ag Committee yesterday. They had the markup of uh, their version of the farm bill, and unlike what happened in the House side, this one went pretty smoothly, a very much a bipartisan bill. And there's a lot in there for conservation. We're going to talk with the president of the National Association of Conservation Districts, Brent Van Dyke, joins us next on AOA.
1: If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice, because when you call for your free Endless Pool Idea Kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location.
3: Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734.
2: We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
3: Now, back to Mike Adams.
2: Well, yesterday, the markup of the uh, farm bill in the Senate Act Committee went very smoothly. Uh, About, what, three hours, I think, or less that they went through it. And only one vote against the bill, and that was by Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Uh, He still wants language in the bill with stricter payment limits. Uh, But uh, that'll be a battle that'll take place on down the road, perhaps on the House or on the Senate floor. We'll see what happens there. But that was the lone dissenting vote yesterday. Far different situation than what we saw earlier in the House. So let's take a look at this Senate bill from a conservation standpoint. There's a lot in the conservation title. Joining us now is the president of the National Association of Conservation Districts, Brent Van Dyke. Brent, thanks for joining us. What do you like about this Senate version of the farm bill?
6: First and foremost, good, good morning. And what I like most is that we do have one uh, that was marked up and voted on that's, uh, that's exciting for conservation districts nationwide. Um, you know, we hope that, uh, you know, it can hit the Senate floor by the 4th of July recess. And, of course, if the House can get something done, you know, we understand that the immigration situation, um, you know, part of their bill um, they've reached an agreement, so we're hoping that they'll they'll get a vote that uh, will allow that to pass, and we can have a farm bill by September 30th. So we're we're optimistic.
2: Well, it looks better now, that's for sure. And there's there's talk <laughs> on the House side that once they have the immigration vote, that they'll be able to get the votes needed to pass uh, the farm bill there if if the Freedom Caucus. Uh, uh, goes ahead and, and supports uh, the farm bill, or at least enough of them to get the, that vote done. So we'll see. But on this, uh, in this Senate version, let's take a look at the the conservation title in, uh, specifically. Sure. Uh, some of the funding levels, uh, some of the programs that are funded, uh, you're happy with?
6: Well, we are, and um, uh, of course, we ought, we'd love to see more dollars put into conservation. But you know, it it, it leaves CSP and EQIP as separate programs. Which uh, we like that we don't. We're not pleased that we saw you know reductions in CSP acreage. Uh, I I think it was about eight million acres per year. Um, I, I think one of the biggest concerns we have obviously is the cuts to equip. Um, it looks like maybe a 12 percent cut uh, each year for the next uh, eight years. That's the uh, You know, that's huge for American ag producers. Uh, Equipped is that partnership where everybody has skin in the game, and it allows American agriculture uh, to be sustainable. And and from a conservation perspective and an ag producer perspective, you know, those are the programs that allow American ag producers to be competitive and to help feed those that can't feed themselves. So um, we don't like those cuts. To equip, um, we like the idea that conservation compliance um, is still, you know, tied to crop insurance. Um, I'm I'm out of New Mexico where asequias, the rule ditch systems, are a, a big part of what we do, and it adds asequias under the definition of eligible producers for equip, um, and that that's gonna. Free up some dollars, also on the RCPP side. Um, RCPP is, I think, our biggest concern over uh, on the Senate version. I think it was yesterday that Senator Bozeman, um, you know, on the Senate floor, talked about his concerns with the arts, the Regional Conservation Partnership Program, and he talked about the value that it has to ag producers, but uh, he also um, you know, voiced his concerns, and we have the same con- concerns that, you know, the, under the new version of the RCPP program, um, they, they can divert as much as 30% of funding um, to, as grants to, to other organizations. The system where RCPP system, as it's designed in the last Farm Bill, it works. I mean, you have federal government, you have private sector, Uh, conservation districts are involved in that so everybody's got skin in the game and and they uh, put dollars into programs mostly watershed scale you know landscape scale type projects and that that works so you know we're concerned that we're we're changing something that works very very well and as uh, Senator um, Boozman said you know his concern is dollars are being diverted to organizations or capacity building and that's not what those RCPP dollars are for uh, we appreciate the new dollars the influx of dollars into that program but um, you know they're trying to pick something that's not broken so that is a concern to us
2: We're talking with Brent Van Dyke he's president of the National Association of Conservation Districts looking at the, uh, the Senate version of the farm bill now it's been interesting to see um, uh, what's being proposed for CRP acres. The House uh, proposing going up to 29 million acres. I think uh, the Senate version is at 25. How do you feel about that?
6: Well, we we like it. We like an increase. Uh, obviously, um, you know, you're right, 29 million acres in the House version. Um, I, I think we could live with that 25 um, or something in between 25 and 29. We like the addition of uh, the grazing increase um, for those uh, range ag producers and conservation—the people you know that have cattle on the ground—that's an important part of who we are. So we like that. But um, obviously, we would like the higher number. Uh, we'd be happy with twenty-nine or thirty. But but I think we can live with a compromise someplace
2: in the middle there. What about the debate over changing uh, rental rates and uh, our? producers at times competing with the federal government uh, what are your thoughts on that
6: you know I when we look at uh, at those rental rates i I think the the you know taking that 80% um of you know that local value I, I think that that's something we we can probably live with I you know it's a it's extremely complicated because the assessment nationwide is so different and there's so many variables that go into play but you know that that eighty percent is something that that i think we could probably live with
2: so overall you like the senate version although there's some things as you mentioned that you would like to see uh changed a bit and there's still time obviously this, now the bill has to go to the senate floor we wait to see what the house uh, if they get theirs, passed and going to a conference committee so there's still a ways to go in the process but from a conservation standpoint do you like the direction things are headed
6: we do, and and you're right. You know, they 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 have to, to to find that common ground when they go into conference. And you know, the the thing that I'm really excited about is is I was was in 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 ACD leadership during the last farm bill, and um, I'm just excited that we might have a farm bill um, earlier than we did during the last one. So that you know that's wonderful. But I, you know, having the Senate uh, working through that process and, and understanding that they need to uh, fix some of their problems so we can, you know, have a farm bill. I think that, that that's very um, optimistic um, for a new farm bill. But, we, you know, it would be great to have something by September 30th. We're just uh, glad that they're working on it. And, you know, it is a priority, and, and that's good for American ag producers that both the House and the Senate understand how important that is. We need that roadmap in ag production, we, you know, farmers and ranchers in America need to be able to plan into the future, and the Farm Bill is that road map that allows them to understand what America's priorities are, so that's so important.
2: Yeah, you're looking at uh, pretty much a commitment to conservation, as you said, you could always use more money, but you're not facing <laughs> the deep cuts or slashes that you've uh, had to uh, be concerned about in the past at times. That,
7: that's exactly right.
6: And, and, you know, as we, uh, most ag producers understand that, you know, conservation, that, that, that title, uh, brings stability to ag producers nationwide. And, you know, for America, that's, that's a, a wonderful security blanket. If America gets to the point that we cannot feed our own people, um, then, you know, there's a security issue there. Um, for america worldwide and so keeping that conservation um title funded allows american ag producers to be more sustainable where they can you know go out and and purchase that equipment and understand that there there's going to be programs and that the american tax dollars also are being spent on something that gives those people in america the opportunity to know that um you know they're going to eat cheaper than most people worldwide so yeah we're excited about the conservation of course we don't we don't want any conservation title or any of the conservation programs so i think we can live with what's there again that rcpp is is a little concerning because it does take a lot of dollars away from um, the working lands component. so um, hopefully they can work those things out
2: All right, Brent, thank you, and we'll talk again uh, when we get closer to a final bill. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. All right, Brent Van Dyke, president of the National Association of Conservation Districts. Next, we shift our attention to the trade front, what's going to happen with China, what's happening with NAFTA. We'll talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, Tom Slate, next on Adams on Agriculture.
5: the mighty Prosaro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield, the hammer of head and leaf diseases, the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosaro.us. Always read and follow label instructions.
8: Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain and soybean futures continue to tumble to new lows as trade-related tensions with China heat up. The White House's reported plan to levy tariffs on tens of billions of dollars of Chinese goods in the days to come as agricultural traders preparing for swift retaliation. Some say Thursday's slip in the markets, though, is a correction that the market needed to see Coming around to the fact that global inventories are still significant. Today's losses wiping out gains after a USDA supply demand report earlier this week showed a somewhat more favorable outlook for prices. July soybeans fell sharply on Wednesday, 9 to 10 and a fraction lower an hour in on this Thursday. We've hit the lowest level since September 2016 in yesterday's action. The selling taking out the June 23rd, 2017 swing low at 935, and we're trending about a dime below it on this Thursday. In corn, we're about a dime lower. The near term trend bearish, a minor support point seen at 366 and three quarters. The June 11th low. Trending just below that on a Thursday, in the wheats we are 15 to 16 cents lower, Chicago, Kansas City, and seven to eight cents lower in Minneapolis spring wheat. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures we are 30 to 80 cents lower as the weight continues for cash cattle activity in the central and southern plains. Bids being renewed on this Thursday at 110 per hundred weight with asking prices 117 to 118. Feeder cattle trending 40 to 60 cents lower. Lean hog futures, the recent rally stalling out. July down half a dollar, 82.27. The Dow up 84. July crude oil in New York up 27. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year,
1: if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice, because when you call for your free Endless Pool Idea Kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location.
3: Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
1: Now back to Mike Adams.
2: Well, when it comes to trade, these are anxious times. And let's talk about it with Tom Slate, president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Tom, a lot of attention right now on what may happen any time uh, as far as more tariffs uh, announcements. Uh, the president uh, weighing the possibility of tariffs on a number of Chinese products. Are you kind of holding your breath on this one?
7: Hi, Mike. Yeah, yeah, we've been holding our breath, waiting what's going to happen next, uh, You know, preparing scenarios all of the above that's kind of what we're doing right now
2: what happens do you think if he comes out with uh, some uh, tariff news uh, placing tariffs on on Chinese products I, I guess we're expecting retaliation from China
7: well I think that you know it's pretty clear that uh, you know to expect that yeah um, but it's also very uncertain what's actually going to be levied on the US side and when uh, we continue to hear you know some sort of hedging language which uh is very interesting to watch, particularly here in washington d c where they watch language like a hawk, you know for our side you know for the for the uh u s grains council where we're looking at corn sorghum barley, and their co products you know we're we're shut out of those markets uh you know right now uh for all of that stuff uh, due to tariffs so uh yeah you know, could it get worse yes, sure could um we saw an opening there with with sorghum with the removal of the anti dumping uh action, but uh You know, if they put another uh, tariff on on sorghum and keep the tariffs in place on on DDGs and ethanol and we get no progress on biotech, um, we're going to be pretty much in the same uh, boat we've been in for a while with China. So, you know, we, we, again, you know, part of that strategy is, you know, invest in a lot of options other places in the world, but watch China like a hawk.
2: How much does all this set us back, Tom? How much does it open the door for competitors to to get a foothold, a stronger foothold in China?
7: Well, Mike, I think you've seen it in corn, where all the trade friction, we had you know, a pretty good uh, book of uh, corn, U.S. corn going into China here over the over the uh, you know spring and summer, um, but the, again, China trade you know changed uh, origins on a lot of that corn. We we sold a little bit of corn, like maybe two hundred fifty thousand, something like that. Into China of U.S. corn, but you know there was a switching of of, of uh, origins. You know that came over the over the course of the spring, and so that we lo- lose some ground there. I think the biggest thing where we we're, we're real concerned about is we could really use a breakthrough on DDGs, um, and uh, sort of the tantalizing. Yes, it's going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, it, it puts a lot of uncertainty in that market. And, and of course, also we've been having some good progress with China on ethanol. Uh, we'd hate to see uh, any of that, uh, you know, uh, sideline. So, you know, we're watching a lot of different fronts here.
2: Talking with Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Tom, I know you've been overseas. You're talking with uh, our customers around the world. What is their reaction to these trade tensions right now?
7: Well, it, it's two different things, Mike. I mean, I just came back from Japan and Taiwan, two of our more loyal uh and long-time customers and we wanted to uh, you know spend some time with those customers to again reinforce the US uh you know position and trim as a supplier of of corn and and uh, feed grains and again the reception is very strong uh there's you know I guess they're watching you know watching what's going on with the trade negotiations particularly NAFTA the Japanese are watching that very closely uh, but still, very strong relationships uh, in, you know, our core business. And, again, that's going to be um, you know, mainly corn into, into Japan and Taiwan. And we have we have a possible opening for ethanol in Japan. And so, you know, again, they, I th- they were very engaged in what's going on uh, and very, very appreciative of U.S. continuing to show interest in their markets, very, you know, cognizant of what the, the pressures are in the rest of the part of the world. But it's important to note, Mike, that we're really doing well with with corn sales right now. I think we're going to, you know, on on pace to set perhaps, uh, you know, some records here uh, this year because we've been so competitive. I mean, uh, I I said this maybe to you last time, in in May we we enjoyed 100% share of of corn into Mexico, uh, very, very robust purchases. So we're seeing a lot of good uh, response to this, but if you take a country like Spain, that's you know a, a buying a lot of Cuauhtemoc corn right now. We're very competitive, selling some BDGs there. But you know if these steel and aluminum tariffs go into place on the Europe, on Europe, you'll see uh, you'll, you'll see some contraction of DDG sales. So it's all related. Everything you know, affects everywhere else around the world, and and that's sort of the what, what we're what's going on and what we deal with on a daily basis around here.
2: That is interesting because, as you point out, you try to develop all these markets, and especially the more you can develop, it can help offset if you have a problem with one. But you don't operate, any of these countries don't operate uh, in a vacuum. As you said, when these things happen with other countries, it, it winds up impacting uh, what you're doing overall, right?
7: Exactly. It's, it's one big one big picture, global picture, and uh, you know we have to be involved in solving that picture every day.
2: All right. Let's uh, look at NAFTA. The tensions seem to be ratcheted up, especially between the U.S. and Canada uh, at the highest levels uh, between uh, President Trump and Prime Minister Trudeau. How are you feeling right now about NAFTA?
7: You know, it's funny, uh, Mike. You, in NAFTA here in, in D.C., you're kind of like it's almost on pause in a way. Uh no one really knows exactly how to react to the G seven stuff and the and the, and the skirmishes you uh you you talked about between President and uh Mr. Trudeau. Uh how do we how are we gonna to react to that? Um, there is a lot of talk here in the last I would say twenty four to forty eight hours on let's really get NAFTA across the finish line, uh talk about this bilateral uh you know, the two bilateral agreements. I mean, you know, you hear a about a lot about that more now than you did last week. Uh, I still feel, you know, there's a lot of good, uh, earnest effort to get NAFTA across the finish line here on part of the U.S. government, and we're certainly behind all of that. We really support these efforts. In Mexico, uh, they're, they're supporting these efforts. Uh, again, a lot of uh, consternation about what's going to happen after their July 1st elections. Let's get this done, deal done now. I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow, but uh, there, there's, there's, some, there's some push here. To get this done, and, and we're certainly supportive of that, and doing all we can to, to help inform the negotiators.
2: We know the U.S. pork industry is feeling uh, the impact of all these tariffs and retaliation, whether it's China yeah. or Mexico. And if it impacts the livestock industry, it, it impacts uh, the grain industry.
7: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's all connected, and obviously, we're very aware. Of, you know, our friends with the pork industry. Uh, you know, difficulties they had with those tariffs going in. Um, and there, there's also this talk about the carousel approach, you know, where, you know, they, Mexico changes the, the products that they that they put tariffs on. And there's a little bit of talk about that, and, you know, that could very well include some of the products that, that we work with. So uh, we're watching that real closely both in Mexico City and here in D.C. Um, right now there seems to be pretty strong uh, support from the Mexican side not to interrupt corn imports. But the pork, uh, you know, situation is very, very informative and very concerning to us.
2: Tom, how difficult is it when you're in a country, and developing relationships, and we've talked about how important that is, and you uh, do your best to assure a country uh, you're going to be a reliable supplier, and we'll have what you need, and do they ever say, "But yeah, but what if the administration does this, or we've seen all these, you know, the tariffs and uh, things like that"? Are they – do you feel a nervousness? Do you have to try to reassure them? How does that work?
7: Well, it, it, is, it is kind of a delicate balancing act. Where you have to reassure U.S. supply capability and U.S. interest in those markets. We experienced that in, uh, in Japan and Taiwan just last week. But I always remind, remind folks that grain markets have very long memories. And when you think things that, like the Soviet grain embargo or, or ancient history – uh that you know buyers will bring that up you know government officials will bring that up yeah but you've done this before you know you've cut you've cut us off and so but yeah but that was way back when well you know long memories and so the, the important part is you know a consistent presence a consistent you know keep working at it again uh, the administration understands very very fully uh, how important trade is to us uh, agriculture and so uh, like I say we're going you know, our job is to inform the negotiators uh what's what we're hearing, both from the customers and from, you know, back home in the United States. And just keep at it. I mean that's all we can do right now. It's just keep at it, keep keep talking, keep talking, uh keep those strong relations that we built up over decades uh in place. You know, we just celebrated our forty fifth anniversary of our office in Taiwan. Those kinds of uh, relationships really come in handy when when things get uh a little bit tense.
2: We have officials in Japan talking trade now. Uh, tell us about your experience there, what you've heard, and uh, what are the prospects for increased trade with Japan?
7: Well, I think that uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about you know TPP or bilateral. I mean, the the voice from the Jap- Japanese is very pretty consistent about you know no bilateral. Um, we want U.S. to come back into TPP. There's a nice little safe landing zone, uh, you know, carved out for the U.S. and TPP. But I think the administration, you know, wants to talk bilateral. So you keep going back and forth and bilateral or TPP. Um, so that's that's got to get solved at some point, because I do think that there is a lot of good, strong support for the U.S.-Japan uh, relationship. Uh, you know, we can do a lot more for Japan in terms of all kinds of uh, – uh, different areas than our competitors can, and so there's an interest there. But uh, you know, the Japanese said, "Well, we want to basically see you know how this NAFTA thing turns out. Um, you know, before we get uh, too far ahead of ourselves." So that's you know, again, that's the, there's sort of the interconnectivity of everything. But again, I, I sense really strong interest in Japan. We've, we've sort of unlocked the door for ethanol exp- exports. Now we have to open that door. Uh, and that's going to take uh, a lot of good work between the U.S. government, uh, U.S. Uh, you know corn producers, U.S. ethanol producers, uh, to again work through all these things to get that door open. So you know, Japan, I think we're in good shape. You know, they're you know getting strong buyers. Korea, we're in really good shape. You know, US, in terms of buying corn right now, Taiwan, same picture. But again, as the South American crop starts to uh, you know come into the picture over the next month or so, yep. uh, that'll change.
2: Thanks for the update, Tom. Always appreciate it.
7: Okay, Mike. Always a pleasure.
2: Take care. Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Interesting because a lot of hope that we'll work out some kind of a deal with Japan. It sounds like Japan still prefers the TPP model, so we'll see what happens there. Let's talk markets next. Dale Durkholtz with AgriVisor joins us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard DeVorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly 2 decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, the
5: hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York banking departments. Maryland, forty nine. Oregon DM 0031. the mighty Prosaro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield, the hammer of head and leaf diseases, the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosaro.us. Always read and follow label instructions.
9: We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you.
5: Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. warranty and you can wash and dry my pillow and here's my best offer ever get four my pillows for the price of one that's right get four my pillows two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code farm 11 get four my pillows for the price of one call 800-871-7280 and use promo code farm 11 go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code farm 11
0: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on
8: Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
2: Welcome back. Well, I've been uh, doing radio, been on the radio over 40 years, and for much of that time, I've been interviewing my next guest here, Dale Durkholz from AgriVisor. Does that say how old we are?
10: Uh, we don't want to go there, <laughs> and people don't want to look at, uh, it's a good thing we aren't visual. That's Let's right. put it that way.
2: Well, we've over those years we have talked about the markets up and down and the what impacts the markets. Um, we've repeated a lot of cycles over the years, but these are interesting times we're in now with all the the trade tensions and the outside forces impacting the markets.
10: It really is, you know. And the big watchword here this week, once we got by the USDA numbers and once we got by the Singapore summit, really reverted back to what's going to happen in this whole trade picture here as we come to the end of the week and is the White House going to institute some tariffs against China and how is that going to be received by them and how do they come back at us?
2: Does the market pretty much at this point expect a pretty big crop? Yeah. So the production after the
10: After the rains last weekend, yeah, we got a big crop in the bin. Don't know exactly (laughs) how big, but it's a big crop.
2: Okay, so they're assuming that,
10: which puts more emphasis in on moving that crop. It really does, you know, and that's where we're going to be here in the short term now is, you know, production issues have gone to the background, so now we're going to have the market shift gears here. We're going to revert over and go, what kind of demand expectations can we start to realistically think for the next year?
2: Now, for those in those pockets where production is still a challenge, whether it's been a challenge, you're saying, wait a minute, don't don't forget us, we're still challenged there. But overall, yeah, it seems like the perception is, we're well, okay, at this point, we're going to grow a big crop all right so let's take a look at how the market has performed so far given the factors it's dealing with
10: you know and it's kind of interesting where we are now and we're getting corn july corn back down into the 360s again here at this point Uh, we've got july beans that are back down somewhere around nine thirty as we're speaking here today we're getting down to price levels where it's hard to be really bearish no matter what the how the trade picture unfolds at this particular point in time, whether you're talking about China or whether you're talking about NAFTA. You know, NAFTA kind of gets lost in this whole game, but it's really a crucial a crucial ingredient in trade when we talk about wheat and corn. Beans, that's a China focus. Right now we're going to be talking about China here over the next week or so yet. But I think you've got prices that are at a level now that that really say – you don't have a huge amount of downside risk left in this game anymore. So right now, today, if a farmer talked to me, what should I do? This is what I call bloody tongue time. You bite your tongue so you don't do something stupid. You try not to get caught up in the emotion. And even though the trade issues are uncertain, we've got to remember the overall fundamental structure still justifies that we're going to have good overall demand as we look Mm -hmm. forward into the next year. It just may be with different trading partners.
2: That's a good point. Talking with uh, Dale Durkhoes from AgriVisor. Now, I've had several analysts say in the last few weeks that overall they see a lot of bullish signs for corn, that they see that there's
10: there's some good prospects out there. Do you are you bullish? Oh, there's no doubt about that. You know, and you look at where we're at in the USDA at this point. You know, they had a new crops ending stock number at uh, just under 1.6 billion bushel, and that's using 174 bushel yield, which would almost match last year's record uh you've really gotta you gotta step back from a moment and go what if we end up with weather that's not quite as good as last summer at the end of the year and let's say we have a hundred and seventy or a hundred and seventy two which is still third largest crop on record You know, you really tighten things up a little bit more, and it's this world that's really starting to get tight. And even if you look at wheat, and that's the one everybody's most bearish, if you take China out of the mix into world wheat, we're not that far away from starting to home in on where we were back in 2008. You know, and there you start talking about wheat with double-digit prices on it. So don't get too negative right now. You know, it may take a long time to really get the ball rolling uphill. It may take a long time to realize this because if you get into a demand market, they're always slower to move uphill, but I think the long term is still there.
2: Yeah, you look at the long term and there are some of those positives. I know there are some farmers saying, well, I've got to get through the short term to be able to enjoy those benefits of the long term. So. But
10: even in the short term, where we are today, it's where I think we're at bloody tongue time. I think we've put so much negative emotion in this game now. And we may not be quite done going down here, but I don't think we go a lot further. We'll have at least some kind of a short-term scare about whether short-term concern get a pop. Even by the between now and Labor Day, we'll have better mm-hmm. opportunities to price stuff than what we have today.
2: Course on china as we wait for news there the big concern will they retaliate on soybeans
10: yeah but when you really start looking at the soybean puzzle and, and you start looking at where we are on the big picture sense you understand we need a big crop and when i start getting into let's say next winter you actually have a fundamental scenario that says we better have a big crop out of South America next year because if we even have a hiccup, and we haven't had a hiccup in Brazil for quite a number of years now, so they're a little due, and they're much more important than Argentina because their crops twice as big as Argentina on a good year. You don't have any, any room. You don't have any, any point to where you can say, we're going to be real comfortable on protein supplies. It just isn't there. And real quick on wheat, have you been
2: surprised how the wheat market's been going lately? In what sense? It, it had a little more strength for for a while. Now, and I know there's some production problems uh, out in the plains. Is, it, was that mainly what was driving it?
10: Well, part of that's there. Part of it's been we've been dry in the Black Sea area, warm and dry in the Black Sea area. And, you know, we've got to understand, you know, Russia's now on a good year, the number one wheat exporter into right. the world itself, you know, and we're ratcheting that crop back down the USDA this week took three and a half million ton out of what they think it will do which kind of says we might even be a little bit smaller here yet so the Russians aren't going to be a as big a competitor when we get out into the world scenario. And they have been the price leader here over the last number of years. So I think we've got a market that's slowly starting to build its case to go higher. Right now, the weakness that we're having in the marketplace at this juncture is, as much as anything, harvest-driven. And what we hear out of the early harvest Oklahoma and Kansas, yields are as good, maybe just a smidgen better than expected. Quality is good, too. And that works well for our export sector.
2: Good to see you again, my friend. Good talking to you. Dale Durkholz with AgriVisor. All right, coming up on tomorrow's program, more on the farm bill. We'll talk with Dale Moore with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Brian Jennings with the American Coalition for Ethanol will be with us. We continue to cover the RFS story. And Kurt Blades with the equipment manufacturers will take a look at the latest equipment sales numbers. Hope you'll join us on Adams on Agriculture.